Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. I'm your host, Stephen Pinecker. And folks, I am so excited about this guest I'm having on today. He actually is just getting started with a YouTube channel called Hello Saints. And it's pretty amazing because this is another evangelical who kind of like him and I have been in contact for the last couple of days. And I told him yesterday, I said, do it. I think we're in one accord on so many levels. Um, he's doing a similar thing that I'm doing from a different perspective. I know a ton about Mormonism and Jeff is just learning about Mormonism. And both of us are on this same journey. Uh, Jeff McCullough of Hello Saints YouTube channel and podcast. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's really great to be here. So Jeff is actually a minister in a church denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And we're going to talk about that church later on. But before we get started on talking about uh, his channel and his current, what you could call a ministry, um, is uh, I want to give a, Jeff to talk a little bit about his background uh, in his faith journey. Because like me, um, he's had some faith crises and stuff like that in his past. And I thought this, my audience would probably really, really appreciate Jeff's story. Now, this is what's so cool. This is another guest that I booked because of my appearance on John DeLynn's Mormon Stories. Uh, actually, John DeLynn, you, you had been in touch with John DeLynn for a while, and John brought me up to you that we need to get in touch. So I've, right. I've booked two evangelicals in a row as a result of Mormon Stories. How ironic. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> <laughs> so, Jeff, um, I've done enough talking. I want you to tell me your story. And that story, let's uh, tell me about just when you, where you were born, uh, what church you were raised in, and then uh, your faith journey. Absolutely, yeah. So I um, I was um, I was born and raised a church kid, as you would say, um, from the St. Louis area in uh, a suburb on the Illinois side called Belleville, and um, very devout, uh, genuinely devout parents who um, were followers of Jesus and and raised us in a way that really pointed to an authentic intimate relationship with Christ, as opposed to just this sort of church going uh, obligation. Um, and yeah, so I, I grew up in a church. It was, it was an assemblies of God church, which it, it leans a little bit more. Well, not a little bit more. It's sort of the, the staple church in the Pentecostal slash charismatic um, area of Protestant Christian denominations. And, um, and there was just a very genuine uh, commitment to that, uh, to, to the, church family that we had, uh, to what we believed in. And my parents were very, um, intentional about even outside of church, making sure that we were having conversations about faith and what we believe and why we believe it. Um, and it was, it was, it was a good childhood. And, and I always associated, you know, a lot of people that, that grow up church feel that they, it was, it was, it was forced on them and they didn't really have much choice. And I, I didn't feel that way. I felt it was part of who we were, and um, I always have valued and treasured that as, as part of my family. Hmm. And, you know, uh, so early, relatively early, what, did you have a calling to ministry, like at a young age, or what, what made, what, what started your, that? Um, my mom would say yes. She, okay. She's, she's said for years that she was convinced that I was going to be in ministry in some way, shape, or form. Um, I kicked it around a little bit. You know, I did the whole go to, go to like youth camp, church camp. And come back and be like, yep, I want to be a youth pastor, right? You know, I'd, I'd love to have fun with students and go play paintball in the summertime. So, but I didn't, I didn't think much of that. Um, in college, I, 
uh, interned for a, a church to do some ministry stuff. And I was always very musical. So I was thinking maybe something tied to music ministry. I led worship for years. Um, and so I, I had thought about it, but didn't really take it seriously. It was just one of the options on the table. And you said you led worship. So would you have called yourself a worship leader? Yeah, I did that quite prominently and, and uh, dedicated for, I mean, really for 20 plus years. Um, even once I moved into pastoral ministry, I was, I was still doing it from time to time. But yeah, I, I, that's kind of, I, that's where I would say my ministry sort of started was when I was in high school starting to lead worship. Yeah. So to my LDS audience, they might wonder, what is a worship leader? What, what is that? Yeah. So yeah, whenever we, we come together, we sing songs, we sing hymns, um, similar to, to what I'm sure is done in, in the LDS church, but um, there's a pretty wide range of what that looks like. You have some churches that have organs and choirs and very orchestral. Um, I grew up in a tradition that had some of that, but gravitated a little bit more toward the worship band. So a lot of the stuff you'll hear on K-Love or what's around us is called 99.1 Joy FM, um, Christian radio, it was a little bit more in line with what, um, what I was involved in. And yeah, it's, it's the first 15 to 30 minutes of a, of a gathering on a Sunday morning where we, we sing songs and praise and pray, pray together. And do you sing or play an instrument? Both. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So that's a worship leader, everybody. That's an office that's very common within the evangelical uh, world and the charismatic world as well. So that's kind of gives you a little background there. So you, uh, you went to a uh, Wesleyan college for your undergrad. Is that correct? Yeah. So I went to Greenville College. It's now called Greenville University. It's a free Methodist church. So okay. um, I know What's that the LDS. Methodist? Yeah. So it, it's, it's a splinter group of the Methodist church. The, the most prominent uh, wing is the United Methodists. Um, they splintered off around the time of the Civil War over issues, disagreements regarding slavery, and the Free Methodists took more of uh, an abolitionist approach. And clearly, as things moved through and beyond the Civil War and, and Reconstruction and all that, that didn't really become quite as much of a distinction uh, theologically uh, and belief-wise, but they maintained the name Free Methodist. But yeah, so the school I went to, Greenville College in Greenville, Illinois, Central Illinois, and um, a very uh, spiritual, like spiritual formation was really big at Greenville. It wasn't just a like token school that says, yeah, it's free methods. They, they very much uh, worked toward, you know, we had to go to chapel. We had um, religion classes that we were required to take and um, lots of extracurricular activities that were tied to uh, your faith, what you believe, why you believe it, and uh, applying that and serving the community and some of those other things. So it was, it was a really rich spiritually rich time, which was really good because it was my first time away from home uh, and away from my, my spiritual kind of uh, home base, if you will. And, uh, you know, as we were talking over the course of the last few days, um, you had mentioned um, that it was at, during this time, while attending this Wesleyan school, that you actually had a bit of a faith crisis. Is that correct? Yeah. Maybe talk a little bit yeah. about that. And the interesting thing about this is, and I've talked about it with friends and family, but um, I was away from school. So a lot of my friends and family didn't see this or know this, um, but the Wesleyan way of thinking, and by Wesley, we're talking about, you know, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, the brothers that were very much, you know, they established the Methodist church. 
but they came out of the enlightenment and the enlightenment was all about, you know, let's question everything. Let's, there's no question that's unsafe to ask if we're really striving toward the truth. And um, what that led to, what, there's a bit of a culture within Wesleyan schools of, of deconstruction of faith. What do you believe and why do you believe it? Let's tear it down, make sure that there's a genuine understanding of what you believe and why you believe it before you just start um, you know, claiming things that have really just been spoon-fed to you. And when that process started to happen, and I had professors who were pointing out things, even in the scriptures, that are difficult to grapple with. You know, one of them, I remember it, it's, it's subtle to a lot of people, but to me, it rocked me. How many women came to the tomb after Jesus mm -hmm. resurrected? Right. Why does one gospel say this, another gospel say that? Well, if, if there's differences there, different perspectives, then are there other things in the Bible we can't trust? And um, it was scary because um, I, for the first time, was grappling with what I felt was, would never happen, and that is, do I really believe this? Um, is God real? Did Jesus really do what he said he came to do? And it, it led to a lot of doubts. And there were times where I was, I was angry with God that he wasn't more clear. Um, there was one time I remember driving in my car and I was like, I wanted to pray, but I didn't want to pray. So I just, I was screaming at God, like top of my lungs screaming, where are you? Why can't I see you? Why don't you make yourself more clear to me? Why do there have to be questions? Why do there have to be doubts? And um, what came out of that though, was that, that deconstruction of what I thought I had always believed. I had to go back and really study the scriptures. I had to have hard conversations with spiritually mature people who could sort of guide me and direct me. And the Lord put really important people in my life at that time that didn't tell me what to do, but just nudged me down the path and set me on certain trailheads, spiritual trailheads that I could then on myself, on my own explore. And the Lord was faithful. He met me there and it, it strengthened my faith and my, my conviction in who he is and, and um, what he, what his presence means for my life. So it was, it was a very key time. Yeah. And how long did this time last? It was a couple of years. It's probably my, my early, early twenties. And there were other things going on in my life at that time too. You know, a, a girlfriend that I was really serious about. And as that rela relationship started to get rocky, you know, those types of things always overlap in some way when life crisis meets faith crisis. Um, but on the other end, on the other side of it, I, I just, uh, I had a new, like an intimacy with God that was not based on everything I had known. And it wasn't tied to my life being ordered in a certain way. It was regardless how, regardless of how my life is ordered and regardless of what I've, I've known, what I know today and what you continue to show me is that you're real, that you're faithful and that you have purpose in this life. And that has carried me ever since. Hmm. And uh, one thing we also talked about is that you actually suffered um, from spiritual abuse. Now, you, would, would you mind talking about what, what that was and what you went through? So this, this actually happened um, more recently but it, it, it's, it was tied to, and I want to be careful because when we go through um, mistreatment in the church, there's a fine line between calling something what it is and then also kind of like going after in some sort of way to get retribution. 
but um, this was after I was in the pastoral ministry and um, different, a, a church governance system um, was in place and very much felt um, as, as in full honesty and transparency, the church that I was leading, we were, we were making certain decisions that were um, standing firm on essential doctrine, but where we started to say, but we don't know if we see everything um, that is non-essential. So issues that we believe that we can agree to disagree on um, essential to who we are as a local body. And as a result, this denominational oversight um, came in and were very harsh and, um, and did things that, um, that, 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 are, that grieve me to this day, not even personally to me, but just a, a heavy-handed approach. Um, when, we were, we, when, when we were in a situation where we were truly doing Christ's work in the neighborhood that we were, and, and, and that's important too, because, you know, you're, you're talking about things that spanned over a pretty broad range of time. One was in my early twenties. One was a little bit more recently hmm. um, within the past five years, but they're tied to two of the more important things when it comes to faith. One, what is my relationship with God like? And two, what is the church that I'm a part of? How does it operate? And, and do those things operate in unison with each other? Um, because when they don't, it causes a significant amount of dissonance spiritual dissonance, dissonance, emotional dissonance, and um, had to walk through a really difficult time. And, and, and it was, um, I still feel that it was handled poorly. And the things that were done to me and to my family are, um, they're still very hard. But, um, but when the dust settles, right, whether it's a faith crisis, or whether it's a church entity, or, or governance system not behaving properly, what is still true at the end of the day? Is God still God? Is Jesus still Jesus? Does it change what he came to do, what he's currently doing, what he's going to do? And um, that has never, that hasn't been shaken. So um, I carry the pain and uh, the difficulty that comes with how we grapple with the fallen nature of, of who we are and how we do church, but God's just been so faithful through it. Wow. Wow, this is great. Um, so I want to go back into our chronology a little bit because um, I wanted to tie in your faith crisis with spiritual abuse because I think they kind of go in hand in hand. Um, and I often wonder, like, when people go through these, it's amazing that they have their faith intact. Now, I went through an atheist phase, so my, my faith, I think I was still, I was definitely one of his still. I just didn't realize it at the time. I feel sure. like the Lord's hand was with this me the whole way. But Let's go and so you went to this Wesleyan, uh, this Free Methodist School, and that what did you get your undergraduate in? My undergrad was in digital media. It was an audio and video production. So that's interesting, folks. And I can tell you, we watch his channel. You can definitely tell he uh, has experience in that area. Um, and then you went to a uh, another place, learning institution called Moody Bible Institute. So tell us about right. that. Yeah, so there was actually this this time period from when I, I graduated college, and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I worked in radio in St. Louis for a while. I worked in TV, and then I got into online marketing, and that it was in that phase, my post college career, first getting married and having kids, that I was I was really feeling like, well, maybe maybe my mom was right after all. Maybe I want to be a part of something that's not just creating videos or being a producer somewhere or even working in marketing, climbing the corporate ladder. But I felt called into ministry. Um, 
So I started working at a local church in sort of an administrative role, but within a few months, it was like, no, I feel called into pastoral ministry. So 12, 13 years ago, started that process of um, uh, seminary at Moody, which is not Wesleyan. It's, it, there's, there's sort of this range, and the Wesleyan Methodist school of thinking is on one end of the spectrum, and then you have what we would call the Reformed um, way of thinking, which is more going to, you know, Baptists and some of those on the other end. And, um, and I, I actually value that. So now here I am in my uh, early thirties and I've grown up in a Pentecostal church, which I didn't ever really feel at home with, went to a Methodist undergrad. And then as I'm getting into ministry, going to this reformed um, seminary, which reformed schools have just very solid theology, very clear, systematic um, laying out of what does the Bible teach, which was a really good um, sort of what came after this sort of deconstruction phase, where then I'm actually able to put even more structure behind my biblical understanding and has been, I could not be more grateful for the biblical studies and theology studies that I've received uh, from Moody. So how long did you attend? And, and first, well, how long did you attend Moody Bible Institute? And also just talk about the background, like who, the founder was D.L. Moody, who, by the way, folks, D.L. Moody in the 19th century went to Salt Lake City and addressed the saints, I believe, in the tabernacle. And it'd be almost 100 and something years later before another evangelical would do that again. But D.L. Moody uh, actually took the time to go out and speak to the uh, Latter-day Saints. I don't know if you knew that or not. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, D.L. Moody, I mean, he was just, he was a mover and shaker in the in the 19th century. He was a, a, a theologian and a scholar, a Christian thinker in a, a pre-Christian consumerism world where there was a lot of academia behind spiritual movements and realities that were taking place in the 19th century and really not too far off from what was the impetus of the of the LDS church and and what Joseph Smith and Brigham Young were experiencing coming out of the second great awakening um in thinking about church and how we're training people differently and that's where Moody Bible Institute came from it was DL Moody establishing in Chicago a place where ministers and missionaries could be trained biblically to to do ministry yeah and then so uh yeah like you said it's it's based in Chicago and um and, and so that's about the, those my, that's my backyard there that I grew up in mm -hmm. and so Moody uh if you're from the if you're from Chicago it's actually Moody's that's how we pronounce it uh, go to Moody's <laughs> um right. we, we had access to everything up there for whatever reason but mm -hmm. um the, the Moody Bible Institute is a very important institution and you went to school there for how long and what did you get what, what kind so of so I started with my uh I was working toward a master's in divinity um okay. which is a lot of theology a lot of biblical studies uh language um, in Greek and Hebrew and um, church administration. So I had gone through all of my theological studies, all of the, most of the biblical studies and half of my language um, through a four or five year process. Cause at the time I'm also in ministry, pastoring a church while raising four kids, uh, married with, with four kids. Um, and when I got to the point of needing to do all my church administration classes, having been in ministry for the 10 to 12 years prior to that, I was thinking, I don't know if I'm really wanting to send a seminary thousands of dollars to be trained in something I've already been doing. So I pivoted toward, um, before I finished those classes, after I had like 72, 80 credit hours at that point to a biblical studies, a master's in biblical studies and called it a day. Um, so that's, that's what I did. And I, I 
officially completed that um, about three years ago. Okay, so now you talk about ministry. Now you are a minister in the church called, like I said earlier, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Why don't you talk a little bit about that church, it, the history of it a little bit and what it uh, stands for and what made you decide to affiliate with that church? Yeah, the Christian Missionary Alliance is in not, it's not a household name in the, in the Christian world, but it's been around for a long time. You talk about D.L. Moody. Um, it was started by a, a man named A.B. Simpson, who was a Presbyterian minister in New York City, who had a heart for immigrants who were coming off the ships and um, wanted to um, mobilize the local church to receive these immigrants and also to go to their home countries and to be missionaries there where we could. And that's the whole idea of a Christian and missionary alliance, the home-based American Christians and sending missionaries abroad. And A.B. Simpson, he ran with the likes of D.L. Moody and individuals like that in the 19th century. Um, it, Billy Graham, as a matter of fact, was a Christian and missionary alliance kid. He, was, he worked in ministry before he went to Wheaton and then became really tied into the Baptist church. And, and that was sort of the legacy of his ministry. But the Christian Missionary Alliance is, it really is somewhere in between this Methodist and Baptist uh, schools of thinking. Um, they don't get caught up on what we would say in the Christian world, specific distinctives. You know, like you've got in the Assemblies of God or the Pentecostals, they're very big on speaking in tongues and spiritual gifts and initial physical evidence. And um, in the Baptist um, Presbyterians, they're really big on soteriology when it comes to um, God's providence, how, how that's involved in once saved, always saved. You know, you hear people refer to that as Calvinism and election. Um, and then you've got these other groups that are, you know, like Lutheran churches, the Lutheran church, my kids actually go to a Lutheran school, uh, Missouri Synod Lutheran school, and um, they're really big on the sacraments and some of those things. So um, the Christian Missionary Alliance doesn't really get caught up on a lot of those distinctives. We believe there can be diversity um, within the, uh, the body of Christ, uh, that, that um, Jesus is our distinctive, and that's what drew me to them. Um, Jesus is our, he's our savior, he's our healer, he's our sanctifier, he's our coming king. He's all the things that we, are, that we need from a savior, and what he did on the cross and, and what he promises to do is really what the CMA stands for. Um, and it's very relational. It's not as big on governance oversight, though there is a lot of that. The president of the CMA right now, John Stone, is a beautiful man, but it's, he's very relational. So it's, it's all about um, pastors and even the higher-ups in the denomination being really relationally focused and Christ-centered. And I've just been very much at home there. So that's mainly why you became CMA was because of the yeah. relational aspect of the church. Yeah, that's right. And, and the, the clear focus on Christ. Okay. Christ-centric. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I just, uh, off the top of my head, um, there are a few prominent people that are members of the CMA, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that the Pittsburgh Steelers head coach, Mike Tomlin, is a member of the CMA. Uh, former Prime Minister of Canada, Stephen Harper, I believe, is a member of the CMA. And our most prominent one would be Sandra Tanner is a member yeah, of that's the right. CMA church. So those that's are true. a few names. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really close with uh, the pastor at Sanders Church uh, in Sandy. And um, there was a big author that in the mid-20th century named A.W. Tozer, who's probably the most celebrated um, thinker out of the CMA Church. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a big name. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So, and, and roughly uh, in, in North America and worldwide, what is the membership of the CMA? 
Um, I, I, it's probably in the vicinity um, in America of, I, I want to say, I'm going to get this wrong, so I hope my district superintendent isn't walking, watching. It's probably about 250,000 in America, okay. but worldwide, it's in the millions. It's really, um, really big in areas like Vietnam and the Cambodia area for various reasons, just where the missionary wing of what we did really took off. Um, but internationally, much larger than it, how big it is in America. And there's a big ca Canadian CMA church as well. So Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a few other prominent Canadians that I that are also CMA. So am I right yeah. about Stephen Harper being the CMA? I believe you are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, so um, so that's, that's the church. That's the background. This is the reason why you are a pastor within this church. And then um, you don't know anything about Mormonism at this point, right? Um, is within the past two or three years? No, I, I'm I'm truly dipping my feet into the water. Yeah, this is what I love. I think this is so cool. You know, I started this channel a little over a year ago, and um, it's really making an impact and taking off. And you just started your channel uh, like a month ago, and you're making an impact already. I mean, so you, a lot of your videos already have a couple thousand views. Apparently, there's a lot of Latter Day Saint people that appreciate what you're doing. And so, I guess the question I have for you is: Tell me the story how this Christian and Missionary Alliance pastor in the St. Louis area, all of a sudden decides they're going to take an interest in Mormonism and start up a channel. Uh, it's it's super hard for me to even, um, without really concentrating, explain it. I'll describe what happened, but yeah. it, uh, it's really hard to explain because, like I said, um, a few years ago, I, I couldn't tell you the difference between an LDS church member and a Jehovah's Witness because those were just the two you know, sort of alternate Christianities that went door to door, right? That's really all I knew. Um, what, what happened was the pandemic was, was key to this, though some of my story precedes the pandemic. But um, I co-run a video production company on the side. And two friends of mine, they're full-time. I'm not. I'm a minority owner, but I help run, you know, strategy in certain aspects of production. Um, very successful, you know, commercials for Target and FAO Schwartz and Sharper Image. Um, they, they work for a, a YouTube channel called VAT19 and the channel that is run now is called Randomonium. And I just was helping with that. And so we've got the studio, the pandemic hits and churches all over the world are like, what are we going to do? Like if we can't meet in person and the church that I'm pastoring at, I'm like, guys, we're good. I got this. I co-own a video production studio. So we pivoted in one week. And I went from pastoring a church and sermon prepping and um, vision casting and, you know, discipling to sermon prepping and video editing. That's, that's what happened in March and April of, of 2020. And a few months into it, I'm like, this is awesome. I'm now blending something that I thought was just a bygone um, interest that I had in my undergrad Audio. I, I mean, I've, I've been apologizing to my parents for the past 15 years for paying for an audio video degree that I wasn't using because now I'm a pastor. Um, but now I'm like, oh, no, what if what if I can put these two things together? Um, that idea preceded even anything pertaining to my interest in the LDS church. But it, it, it did for that and a few other reasons. You know, I think we all took some personal inventory around the time of the pandemic, like what what are we doing at church? Why are we doing it? How are we doing it? And my wife and I started talking and we just started feeling that the Lord was preparing us for maybe a transition towards something different. And um, I communicated that to a couple of the leaders within the church and said, let's just pray about this because I don't know what that means. So in June of 2020, I took a trip out to, we took our family to national parks. There was this little window 
in June of 2020 when everything they thought, oh, we're done with the pandemic. So things started opening up. So we, we said, let's go. So we went to Colorado and um, you know, we went to Moab, had some friends in Salt Lake, went up to Jackson, went up to Yellowstone, did, did all the, the national parks. But while we were in Salt Lake City, we were with some friends and it was my first time there. And we were catching up. And I said, yeah, I've, I've been doing video and ministry and it's really cool. And, and my wife and I are really uh, contemplating whether the Lord is maybe transitioning us towards something different. And she said, you need to come out here. And I was like, not my wife, this friend of ours. And I'm like, okay, why is that? She's like, ministry is very unique out here. This is a very unique part of the country. I didn't know what she was talking about. I truly thought that the LDS presence in Utah and Idaho was not much different than the Catholic church's presence in the Midwest where I am, where it's like, yeah, I know that there's a lot of Catholic churches and people that have grown up Catholic, but I didn't realize, like my friend took me outside, pointed me to two houses in this huge neighborhood in Sandy and said, those are the only two houses that I know of that are non-LDS people. I'm like, you're kidding me. Um, and she's like, there's a very unique spiritual dynamic here. And if you really want to explore a unique area where um, you can engage in some very unique opportunities for ministry, come out here. And you know what my response was? Nah, that's okay. Can we go on a hike now? And I didn't think anything of it. So we did our trip, we got home, and three or four months later, I'm still grappling with this, you know, ministry and video ideas, and maybe we're supposed to move on. And I kept hearing her voice saying, you need to come out here. And I, I just was praying about it, and I was like, all right, Lord, I don't know why this keeps coming back. I really have no interest. I mean, Utah is beautiful, but I have no interest. What is this? So the more I prayed about it, I started then connecting with, my friend put me in touch with some pastors out there, and I started to learn what ministry is like out there. And that just started a, a heart level interest in this giant group of people in the middle of our country that nobody really talks about other than Mitt Romney. I knew Mitt Romney was an LDS church member. So I was like, all right, what is this community? What's it like in Utah? What's it like in Idaho? So I started reading books started watching YouTube videos. I started learning about the LDS church. And before too long, I just became fascinated with the spiritual heritage, with the history, the, just the narrative, the drama, the tragedy, the um, devotion, generational devotion. Um, why don't I know more about this? And... Um, and then I started to meet some LDS church members. I'm like, these people are fantastic. They're service-minded, family-oriented. They want to do good. Um, and I, I, I don't know how else to say it. I just, I kind of fell in love. It's, it's a weird way to put it, but like, I, I'm just, I'm drawn to this people group. I'm drawn to this faith expression. Um, and I want to learn more. I don't, feel that I agree on theological levels on when it comes to truth claims and some of those things. But I'm also just personally, I'm personally not wired in a way to say, I disagree with you. So I hate you. Mm. You see things different than me. So you're a horrible person, which yeah. is really the rhetoric of the world that we live in right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in that. I want no part of that. And part of that, I think for me is tied to like, I, I'm in St. Louis. I'm not too far from Ferguson. 
I've been in the middle of the racial attention that exists in our country right now. And I grew up in a very diverse school and environment. I have no tolerance for this, like, I hate you and you hate me thing. I think there's beauty in just hearing each other. Hmm. And that's where this whole idea of, as a pastor, I think I know what I, I think I know everything. I, I mean, I've got degrees in this stuff. I study the Bible. Um, so that naturally makes me critical towards someone that sees things differently than me. But there's that part of me that says, stop it. Like you're going to, you're going to get nowhere by pointing fingers and getting in their face. Just be curious. And that's where, if you saw my first video, I'm fighting criticism with curiosity. And I'm really wanting that to be the heart of everything I do on Hello Saints. Yeah. So I uh, watched that first video. And so you reached out to me just a few days ago and said, well, John Dillon recommended that we get together. And I watched your video. I was like, oh, I was blown away by it because, uh, I knew that my mom even said, what's going to happen when there's another Stephen Pinecker out there doing the same thing? I said, well, I said, the more the merrier, I don't care. You know, but I, what I found so interesting is that basically you're just getting started in engaging the restoration and believers in the Book of Mormon and uh, people who believe that Joseph Smith was a prophet. And so you're just, you're kind of learning as you're producing your show. And, and mine is I've put 10,000, I've done the 10,000 hours of research right. if you will, into Mormonism. And right. so we both, but, and, and, and it's a very similar story is that I, I Christians ask me, why are you so interested? Because folks, just so you know, if you're outside of, you know, Utah and Idaho, the Mormon corridor, Christians don't know anything about you. Uh, they just might know something they heard from the God makers, or maybe they watched a thing on the 700 club about it or something. They don't know anything about the LDS church. So the idea that you guys think like, we're the center of the world and the world is looking at us. Nobody, nobody pays any attention. And so that's what, that's the weird part. The only evangelicals that know anything about Mormonism would be ones that are in the Mormon corridor. So that's fascinating. And I'm fascinated by you because I'm like, dude, just a couple of years ago, you didn't know anything about it. Now you're engaging it and you're learning. And so, and I, and then when I tell Christians, I said, listen, the story of Mormonism is so awesome. How in the world would you not want to be interested in it? You're really missing right. out on a great story. So just tell me a little bit about some of the things that you've, learned uh things that maybe have surprised you in your in your journey of exploration i, I think one of the first things i would say I, I have a real interest in history especially american history i i in, immediately was like oh my goodness this is the most american church in existence yes hands down it does not have foreign roots it is american and it's tied into so much of the the American zeitgeist that is that has existed for the past couple hundred years, and um, and is intertwined in so many aspects of American history. Um, the the pioneers, you know, politically, you know, so many different uh, the Second Great Awakening and what was taking place in America at that time. Um, so the the historic aspect, there, there's there's so much LDS history intertwined into American history, which um, makes it closer to home to me. And if you saw the video that I did in Nauvoo, that, that's, another, that's, a, that's a really cool connecting point for me, because I even say this in the video, I always regard the LDS church as a desert thing. It's like it's in the middle of the high desert in, in Utah. But Joseph Smith spent his final years and, uh, and died two and a half hours away from me. And that was a that was like 
probably the biggest pivot point in LDS church history. Um, in the restoration, really, for that matter, because that's where most of the splinter groups then started coming off of in, in Nauvoo. So being able to go up there and explore, it felt close to home. Um, and, and the devotion of the people feels close to home because I grew up in a very devout religious ex expression as well. And there's something even too, th this gets really nuanced. And Stephen, I know that you've got your background in a few different, you know, faith expressions, denominations in the Christian church. Um, but there's, there's something very similar to me between the leadership, even in like the Pentecostal and the Assemblies of God church and the Mormon church, like very, um, very devout and passionate about what is believed in and the history of how the church or the movement came about um, that ripples through generations. Something about that seemed really familiar to me as well. But um, the things that I've just off the bat been the most, I guess, struck by um, is how there is um, such similar language, similar um, ways of thinking, similar terms even that we use, and, and lifestyle things that look so much like the rest of Christianity. And yet they're just different enough that it makes me want to strain a little more and understand it. Because, you know, how grace is understood, how mercy is understood, how faith and works, how that relationship exists is unique in the LDS church that um, I just feel like there's, a, there's an endless amount of observation and learning that I can do by understanding how all of that um, is understood in practice and then how the origins came about through Joseph Smith and through his convictions and through the convictions of other church leaders and the Book of Mormon and the Quad and all the other teachings that come out of the church. Um, I, I don't, I can't point to one thing. All of it is just fascinating to me. And I think it's really kind of ironic, Stephen, that, you know, your Mormon book reviews, right? Um, mm -hmm. you're, you're all about research and, and some of these other things. My next video on Hello Saints um, is actually going to be a video that I shot in Utah of me going through a Deseret bookstore because I walked into it and it felt exactly like any Christian bookstore I've ever walked into. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of the bookstore on campus at Greenville College or in Moody. It felt just like it. But then as I started walking around and I started looking a little bit more, I was like, this is different. This is, mm -hmm. I felt like I was an alternate, an alternate reality. Mm -hmm. It's like everything about this feels very Christian. And yet I don't see any Billy Graham or Tim Keller or, you know, uh, Francis Chan. I'm not seeing all of the, you know, mercy me and, you know, big daddy weave and all the, you know, the Christian cultural things. It's all stuff very specific to the LDS church. Um, the scripture section is not just King James, ESV, NASB, NIV Bibles. It's the pearl of great price and it's, you know, doctrines and covenants. And um, it's all just very fascinating to me. And I, I'm just, I'm wanting to, I'm wanting to learn more, especially because I have a heart for um, not just understanding, but for people who might be going through um, a faith crisis himself. And, and I know I'm, I'm talking a lot here, but if you really want to get to the heart of the issue for me, the reason why I'm saying, feeling this is worth my time. And I feel that the Lord is calling me into this is because one of the things that's coming out of the pandemic is a real de deconstruction of faith by a lot of people. 
um, the evangelical church. I know that a lot of people are saying, you know, the LDS church is, is dealing with that quite a bit right now. And there's, just, there's so much stuff that's going on at BYU. That's a, a huge indicator of that. Uh, you're not alone, LDS church. The evangelical church is going through some massive crises right now when it comes to people either leaving the church or longstanding institutions within the church, whether that be Hillsong, whether that be Bethel, whether that be the SBC, you know, Southern Baptist Convention, that are, that are having to grapple with some real issues that have gone neglected for a long time, and it's really impacting people's faith. And a lot of times when people have faith crisis, they feel that their only option is to just, I'm throwing it all away, just burn it all down. I don't believe any of it. I can't, I can't trust any of it because I believed a lie or something that wasn't authentic for so long. I'm done. I'll be an atheist. I'll be an agnostic, whatever. Um, I don't believe that that's your only option. And that's really why I'm doing Hello Saints. Um, I want to learn, but I also want you to know that if you're in faith crisis, um, there is Jesus after Mormonism. Um, there is a Christianity outside of the LDS church. And I want to help you understand that so that you don't think that your only option is throw it all away. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's, that was my message to uh, John DeLynn's audience when I was on Mormon stories, because, um, you know, again, and this is the thing, folks, I would feel bad if somebody left the LDS church because of my channel. That's, that's where I'm at. Cause I'm not, I'm really not trying to proselytize. I, all I'm trying to do is just talk about my personal faith and also having a personal relationship with Jesus. And really, that's really the most important thing is having that personal relationship with Jesus. And what, I don't care what building you go to on a Sunday morning, what, what, what kind of relationship do you have with the savior? And I think that's foundational to the whole thing, but that's what I, I think what you're doing is so important because I think one of the things that really bothers me about a lot of the Christianity that Mormons are exposed to is one that's very confrontational, one that's about winning a debate, yes. uh, you know, that's very theological. Um, it's, it's also very cold. And I think at times very cruel. Um, I, I name some names in my interview uh, on Mormon stories, because I feel that for over 200 years, evangelicals and Mormons have been going like this and where has it gotten us? And I just feel like, you know, if you just want to be open, just be open-minded and allow the spirit to operate, which is, I think is what the Lord's been doing. And that's why these doors have been opening, um, this channel it's on paper, this shouldn't be happening. So that's why people feel that the Lord's hand is involved in this. And I feel the Lord is, is directing this endeavor. And I believe that the Lord has brought you into this recently. I think that when I was talking to John and I said, I believe that this is a divine appointment that all of us were supposed to be in this room. You and I started comparing notes and felt that the Lord had a hand in this as well. Um, so maybe let's talk about like, why, what kind of like your differentiate your approach to how you see other Christian groups that are um, trying to take on Mormonism and maybe just point out some of the differences of, of your approach. I, I like the, the word that you use. I think it really, it, it, it captures it, this confrontational, adversarial um, aggression is, is so, um, so much the norm coming from a non-LDS Christian apologetics is what we call it approach. And um, I just don't think that's, that's the only way. And when I, when I look at Jesus's engagement with people, I mean, think about this for a second. He is, he is the divine mind of God himself 
entering into humanity. How wrong, incorrect does everybody have it based on his understanding of the truth? And yet, he was kind. He was kind. He, um, now he did have to have some very difficult and direct conversations with some of the religious convinced people, but I think he was, he was doing that even out of a passion and love for them. Like the prodigal, the, 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 um, the parable of the prodigal son, the older brother is the Pharisee, the older brother who said, but father, have I not been keeping your house and, and, and falling in line with everything that you've asked me to do? I've been the obedient son. Why are you giving a party to this, this prodigal son that's returned after squandering his inheritance? And the father lovingly and gently pleads with the older brother to help him see the beauty in, you know, both sons um, having an important part in that relationship with the father. And, and so I feel like Jesus was always coming from a place of, on a heart level, um, not interested in pinning someone to the ground by winning arguments, but helping them see the kindness of God. Jesus did not come to the world to condemn it in John chapter three, but came to save it. This is a conversation Jesus is having with a Pharisee, Nicodemus. But all of his interactions were, were in this, this posture of a winsome, inviting, personal, um, intimate compulsion. And I feel more drawn to that. Now, do I think that people in the Christian church who are street preaching outside of temples and or taking a more aggressive approach. Do I think that they're inherently wrong in what they're doing? Maybe sometimes, maybe a lot of times, but not necessarily because I do think there can be more than one way that people go about communicating what they passionately believe they need to communicate. But um, I just think that there's so much more that can come out of us just having relationship and having just honest conversations and to do so in a way that is, is friendly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's the thing, you know, when I first jumped into this, there was early on people would be like, okay, you're an evangelical. And they were very suspicious of me. And so often, and, and for the first couple of months, I had to kind of explain myself because I'm, I'm a unicorn. Right. And, um, but now that I've kind of established uh, credibility with my audience and have established a great relationship with, the LDS church. I mean, they're sending me materials. Uh, I could contact BYU today and say, can you send me this? And it's on its way. So to have that kind of respectful relationship with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and also with the other branches like the Community of Christ and the Church of Jesus Christ and other groups, um, it, it really has been just a wonderful engagement because, you know, one of the blessings of engaging the Restoration is that you get to meet some wonderful, wonderful, loving people. And everybody's nice. And it's really nice dealing with nice people, wouldn't you say? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I mean, truly, like, I love them. Like, I love these people. And any conversations I have with them, um, you know, we, we can so easily view someone who dis disagrees with us. We immediately default to like, well, they're intrinsically terrible people. Um, Andy Stanley, I, I was telling you on a phone call that you and I had a couple of days ago, did uh, um, he was speaking in front of the, the Georgia legislature and he was speaking in political terms, but it really resonated with me. A friend of mine sent this to me saying, I really feel like this is what you're doing in your engagement with um, LDS church members. He was saying like, 
it's okay to meet in the middle, even if you still disagree, and to not just undermine and villainize the character of the people that you don't agree with. Like, um, and and that's just kind of how I feel. I mean, really, let's just be completely honest. All right. Some of the most mean-spirited directed comments that I've been getting on Hello Saints so far in the comment section and even directly have been from devout Christians who believe the way that I do. And I think that comes from a school of thinking that I'm I'm doing something wrong by simply wanting to like lovingly engage in relationship and, and conversation with these people. Um, I just disagree with that. I think that there's there's so much more opportunity that comes from relationship and friendship than ideologically making your point. Yeah. You know, and this is the thing, you know, one of the blessings, honestly, that I've had was I've engaged polygamists. I've befriended the polygamists. Um, Benjamin Schaefer, I've had him on a few times. Uh, very, very brilliant man. Very smart, very engaging. I don't know if you've seen any of my interviews with him, but man, he's, it's incredible. And, uh, and then I had Ann Wild on and her husband was Ogden Kraut, who's the most influential um, you could say, apologist or theologian of Mormon fundamentalism in the 20th century. He wrote over 65 books and she edited all of them. And as I've been engaging, and, and just so you know, Ivan Kraut and Gerald Tanner were very good friends, um, is the character of Ogden Kraut, Batman had so much integrity. So the stories I've heard about this guy, it's, uh, I was just telling a neighbor, I said, this guy has, has shown to have more integrity than a lot of Christians I know. Well, that's mind blowing, but the man was a man of integrity and he's a polygamist, lesson learned, right? <laughs> Just pretty wild to have that kind of experience with people. Um, and have you had a chance to uh, engage any other groups within the restoration or are you primarily just dealing with LDS? It's primarily been LDS, yeah. I mean, I, I did go into sort of the community of Christ districts of Nauvoo when I was there. Um, I, I've actually shot a video in Palmyra um, but that is more prominently LDS as opposed to some of the other uh, groups that exist. But um, as you and I have spoken, I'm going to be doing some videos in Kirtland and Independence and also in Quincy. And I do know that there's some different restoration churches in those areas. Yeah, I encourage I tell people said, you know, you, the, I'm engaged in the entire restoration and we have to take, take an account, make an account for these other churches especially the Church of Jesus Christ, which is probably one of the most Christian churches I've ever been to. So, you know, Joseph Smith founded that church too. So these are, these are lessons that, that I'm learning as well um, that makes it so fascinating to me. And, you know, I just think if you're outsiders and you're like, well, Steve, you're doing everything wrong. It's unbiblical what you're doing. I, look, I understand if you think that because within the, the paradigms that you've been raised in and the, the bubbles that you've been raised in, um, I'm doing the exact opposite of what I should be doing. And in one sense, Jeff, you're doing the exact opposite. But I think that's where the Lord operates is in, is, is in those areas and not with just following the rules that a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of Christians just feel like you have to do a certain way. And if you're not doing it, then you're not doing God's will. Absolutely. I mean, and really that's, I have a friend of mine who's been saying, you know, what you're doing is is reckless, but he's saying that in a good way. Yeah. He's like, you're, you're, you're going to upset people and you're going to do things in a way that, that there's going to be large groups of people that might even disagree with the way that you're going about this. Um, and, and Stephen, you know, even as, as you and I have talked, I've told you, like, I'm so serious about this that um, I've taken a, I've taken a break. I've taken a leave from pastoral ministry as a vocation job wise. I'm still involved in certain pastoral responsibilities in certain groups, but so that I can take this moment to really move in an unconventional and untraditional way 
um, in an area that I just, I see God at work and I want to be a part of it. And, um, and, and I, I really think that, like you're saying, that's where, that's where the Lord really does some work. It's not in these conventional expected predictable ways, but it's when we're, when we're really willing to step out and um, break the rules a little bit and step outside of the norm for, for what purpose though? And this is really what Hello Saints is all about. Love. It's to, to, to lovingly engage. And that's why I'm really hoping that my Hello Saints, you know, crew, the people that are, are watching the videos and all the LDS church members, I hope that they understand, like, I, I'm not convinced of the Book of Mormon, but I'm going to read it. Um, I'm not, I, I, I don't consider myself someone who would even agree with the, the restoration thinking. Um, but if I did, I, I wouldn't, if I did, then I'd probably be raising my church in a, an LDS church right now, and I'm not. So it, I, I'm, I'm trying to be honest, but at the same time, I'm just wanting to, to take friendly, loving steps to say, but that doesn't mean you're not worth understanding. I mean, what is more beautiful? What is, what is more desired by any human than to know and be known? And when we're taking this aggressive approach, we're saying, I don't want to know you. I'm not interested in you. I just want you to know you're wrong. No, I, I want to know and be known. And I think that's where Christ operates. You know, one of the things the Lord showed me early on when I started this channel is he said, um, when you're at a street protester and across the street is somebody that has views that are contrary to yours and you're on the other side, the important thing to remind yourself is that they are also fellow image bearers. So whenever mm. you're dealing with somebody that you disagree with, just say in your mind, fellow image bearer, fellow yeah. image bearer, and use that as a reminder. And I want to kind of tie what we're doing because I feel like you know, I told you this story the other day, and then on two, the, the, earlier this week, they just released an interview with Christopher, Dr. Christopher Thomas interviewed Sandra Tanner, and she told the story that I told you on the phone, so I'm going to just, now that it's public, because I think it's going to be in their book as well, and I don't know how much she's told people about this, was that when Gerald and Sandra Tanner went to their very first Christian church outside of the Restoration, um, Gerald, he's in his mid-20s, and he goes to the pastor, and he says, listen, um, if you say one cross word, about the LDS church, the Mormon church, uh, during a sermon or in, at all during the church on Sunday morning, I will stand up and I will walk out. And so when I heard that, when Sandra told me that story last summer, I thought, oh, okay, I think I'm, what I'm doing is more in line with what Gerald Tanner was really trying to do and do things in a loving way and not bash. And the great irony is that you have all these anti-Mormon types who are using the Tanner's material in a way that Gerald probably didn't intend it. Um, and so I think the great irony is that in one sense, I think the spirit of Gerald Tanner, what his legacy is, I think we're following that path much more than a lot of the anti-Mormons. I think they think they're, they're following the Tanner's path, but I think that we inadvertently actually are following the path that Gerald set forth. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I just, I really feel that we're, we're moving into an, an era in um, the church, in the American church, where um, these lines of division that we've built, um, because we've got it right and you've got it wrong. And I'm right now, I'm, I'm only talking about Christian denominationalism. I'm not even talking about the LDS church. Um, we need to be done with that. And um, we need to engage each other and I know it sounds like a broken record, but on relational terms, on at the end of the day, what do we agree on what is true? What do we believe is true? Not what makes the most sense, because there's a difference between what, what makes sense and what is true. Because sometimes the stuff that, that, that is true doesn't make sense. Um, but 
what do we feel the Lord is showing us to be true? And um, that to me is a case by case. It's a, it's a one-on-one thing. And what I'm really hoping even comes out of what you're doing and what I'm doing and what I think the Lord is doing in a lot of people is to just open up uh, dialogue and avenues of, of connection that have not existed between the LDS church and the rest of Christianity for ever, really, I would imagine. So, Yeah, so I think what's happening inadvertently, um, a network is starting to be built um, like Randy Bell and my friend Allison, who's really been doing a wonderful work out there. Um, and what you're doing, I think what we're trying to do is not really, it wasn't really planned, but what is becoming together is we're creating an alternative network of Christians who are engaging the restoration in a much different way, I would argue in a much more Christ-like way. And I think that perhaps we will be able to maybe be the new face of Christianity to the LDS folk um, that it actually might we might actually make some progress. You know, like I was telling you the other day, like, you know, I don't consider the Book of Mormon to be Christian scripture, but I consider it to be a Christian book. And rather than uh, be fearful of the Book of Mormon, I think the time has come for Christians to engage the text. Like John Hamer said in one of my interviews, he said, Protestant Christians should appreciate the Book of Mormon because he said it literally contains, if you will, uh, recordings or written down sermons of the Second Great Awakening. He said, mm. no, nobody wrote their sermons down, but we have transcriptions of 19th century uh, sermons in the yeah, Book of Mormon. Fascinating point, yeah. And well, let's just use the Book of Mormon as our, as the keystone, if you will, of the conversation and, and, and not be afraid of the Book of Mormon. That's why you say you're gonna read the Book, read the Book of Mormon. And uh, I, I think you'll, you know, there are people who tell me they feel blessed. I just was talking to a Methodist last night who is helping my friend Casey Kern, who's based out in Korea. They are about to ready to launch an interactive website of the Book of Mormon. And it, guys, it's awesome. We're gonna, I'm gonna tape them next week. But here you have a Methodist who's helping uh, a, a Mormon in, <laughs> in Korea build one of the most comprehensive Book of Mormon websites. Now, to me, that's awesome. Yeah. That's, it's amazing. Yeah. There's, there's so much going on that, um, is bigger than us yeah. and is even a little bit mysterious right now, but that's what makes this exciting. And, um, just, I feel so honored to be a part of it. Um, and I, I, I'm to your point, this feels so out of the box. Um, but with such a potential for really fulfilling progress within the church to, um, to engage in ways we haven't done before. And the way, Stephen, you're going to get this statement um, that I, I hope that maybe we can, we can explain it. But like, this is to me, in my opinion, this is true kingdom work. It's not church work. It's not underwritten denomination work. This is kingdom work. This is, um, this is about uh, moving forward with not what we are doing, but what we really believe that the Lord is doing. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Kingdom building. That's uh... I think that's true. And I think that, you know, I, I tell people I can, let's learn from the restoration. They talk about Zion. What is Zion? Uh, there might be some things that are, could be instructive to us. And, you know, one of the things the Lord showed me is in order to be a teacher, you need to be teachable. Um, and yeah. I think that's what it's all about. I think we just, we want to have conversations. We want to be taught things and be blessed. Like I tell people, Mormons just keep blessing me, man. And I'm just going to receive those blessings from people. Um, and I, you know, I think that 
that this is a turning point. I really believe that we're at the precipice of a turning point where we can now have mature adult conversations with people in the LDS church. And the, the days of just confrontation, we just need, to, I say, ignore the people who are just the haters. Just don't give them a platform. I mean, of course, have a platform. I'm not canceling anybody, but just ignore them because they're, they, first of all, they believe everything's been predestined um, because they're hyper-Calvinists. And my thing is, is why bother? Why are you, you're just wasting your time and everybody else's time going after people. Um, I don't even see the point to their, to their enterprise at this point. Uh, I think if we're really participants with Jesus in, in, and with God, and we're actually working with him, I think is a better way of looking at it. And I think that that's why this, this kind of directional change within Christian Mormon relations, again, this, we're still two tiny channels and we're not going to change, you know, the course of history or anything like that. But I do believe the Lord can operate in the small areas too. And I think that, in, and on the individual level, I mean, I get emails from people throughout the world who feel like they've told me your channel is my church service. Well, when you're, or people are telling me, Steve, I watched my interview with so-and-so and I, I broke down crying. And of course, my appearance on Mormon stories, folks, uh, you know, I know I touched a lot of people's eyes with that. So it's pretty wild to think that in a little over a year, all this happened. And I, like I said, I think it's the Lord's hand. I think the Lord has, is, is part of your endeavor as well. And I think that you and I are going to establish a relationship and a friendship. And I think, uh, who knows where this is going to go, but I think something really awesome could happen. Yeah. And that's why when you say, you know, we're just two small channels, which we are, I think we both know it's bigger. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And I'm not, I'm not even talking about subscribers and viewers. I feel like it's, it's something bigger is going on. Yeah, of course. Yes, I, I agree. And, and as you get into this, you're going to be really, really surprised at things that you are going to find out and pe things or people are going to tell you. It's pretty remarkable stuff. You know, I just, Jeff McCollum, hello saints on YouTube. Um, tell me a few things about the channel. First of all, how often do you release a video? And uh, are you primarily just a YouTuber or are you also going to do things like, uh, like I started doing with a podcast on, you know, all the different platforms. What, what are your plans for over like the next six months? Um, right now I'm releasing a video every two weeks, um, but I am doing shorts or like, you know, smaller uh, versions of some of these videos, although I, I'm taking a unique take, a unique take on those. Some of that comes from, like I said, I co I co run a video production company. So I've got a lot of experience um, and insight into how YouTube works and value propositioning and you know, thumbnails, descriptions, and the type of content and when you should release stuff. So um, right now I'm just where I have capacity because um, I'm not doing Hello Saints primarily full-time. There's other things that I'm doing right now, even from a you know, livelihood standpoint to uh, tied to ministry. But um, yeah, I, every, every couple of weeks is when I release a video. I would love honestly, for it to become something that I'm fully dedicated to doing, though. Um, I would love it if there was a podcast. I, I want to do uh, similar to what you're doing, interviews. Um, I, I like to travel to these different areas and really, like, see these places and, and engage with people. Um, so who knows where this will go, but I do have, like, a, a three- to five-year plan type of uh, thing already lined out. And um, uh, yeah, I would, I would love to see it go further, but it's, uh, it's, it's in the, the initial stages. We'll just, we'll just see where it goes. Wow. So a year from now, do you think you'll be living in St. Louis or Utah? <laughs> I got to be careful how I answer this because I might get in trouble for my wife. Um, 
let's just say uh, there is a strong desire on one of our parts um, to move out west into uh, the, the Salt Lake area. And uh, another one of us is saying, maybe let's just let's give it a little let's give it a little time to really think this through. So that's a little bit hard for me, but we're praying about it. We're talking about it and we'll just see where the Lord leads. But um, I if I'm going to be honest, um, if she says, let's go, um, the house will be packed and the U-Haul will be en route within probably seven to eight hours after that green light. So we'll just see. You never know. Maybe a year from now, you're, we're neighbors. <laughs> hey, maybe. That'd be great. <laughs> well, uh, Jeff, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the program today. Was there any final yeah, words that you'd like me. to share with the audience? Uh, I'm Stephen. I just thank you for for allowing me to come on and for um, just even allowing the uh, your audience to be introduced, not just to Hello Saints, but the relationships that even exist in um, your world that the Lord is developing to kind of give give insight into what's going on behind the scenes and some of the stuff. So um, yeah, I'd love it if you would check out my channel, Hello Saints. It's just youtube.com slash Hello Saints. I'm also on Instagram. I'm dropping some of these videos on TikTok right now, but um, the primary focus right now is on YouTube. So yeah, youtube.com slash Hello Saints. And uh, I'd love it if you journey with me, if you would learn from me, but also help me learn because um, I have a lot to learn. So, yeah. That's great. Well, thanks again for coming on. I just want to remind my audience to make sure you like and subscribe and don't forget to hit the notification button for when a new video comes out. Uh, I want to thank all my Patreon supporters. Uh, if you would like to support the channel financially, I'll leave a link for my Patreon. Uh, we are, I just actually, we've just been released. Now we're on Audible and Amazon in addition to Apple and Google and all the other platforms for the uh, podcast format. If you need to reach me, it's mormonbookreviews at gmail.com. And you all have yourself a great day.